Today on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show, we have a lot of fun and interesting items for you. All brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Speaking a little bit slowly as I'm trying to juggle a little honey throat lozenge because my voice has been like a motor running on less than all of its cylinders. Got a bit of a vocal misfire going on. And for those who are sick of my voice, this is a great thing. For those who can tolerate it, well, I'm doing my best so it isn't complete trash. So I apologize. The lozenge employment to start off my show here, driven by your listener Q&A submitted via my at Marshall Pruitt Twitter handle, the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page, which I would urge you to join, even if you are young and firmly believe that Facebook is only for old people. Maybe it is, but just humor me. And even Reddit, the Reddit IndyCar group. So thanks to everyone who submits questions every week via those three methods. They are the only methods because I can't really keep track of more. I want to say thank you as well to our man Tim Falkowitz, a fine listener and submitter of questions on occasion and who helps me put together these questions it's been an interesting week or two here in the pruitt household Uh, my wife uh, is doing well thanks for everyone again who sent really kind notes last week when i mentioned that was the one year quote milestone not calling it an anniversary since this cancer fight really Uh, fought back and became a significant life-changing thing for the two of us. We've had a bit of a heat wave here in the Bay Area. It was 96 degrees today as we were navigating chemotherapy. Uh, Yeah, let's see what else. Saturday was a lot of fun as three rampaging a-holes as evidenced by our Ring doorbell video, uh, tore through the halls of the little uh, kind of private community, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, almost um, hotel-style complex that we live in, uh, stole a bunch of packages that were out in front of our door, which we were unaware were there, uh, because doorbell was not wrong letting us know and yeah i'm grieving because among the packages stolen from us and there were many other folks who had their packages stolen one was a bit of an investment a friend of mine in the sport said hey i'm trying to shed my some of my memorabilia Uh, i've got a bunch of these things and that things and you name it i just want to get rid of them Here's a number that I think is extremely fair. Do you have any interest? And so he and I spent about the last nine months trying to make that happen. He is going through a variety of family things as well. Finally was able to make that happen. And I just looked at it as really cool, but also a bit of an investment, knowing that uh, this would be something that benefited my wife and I. Well, you'd never guess what item showed up, apparently not too long before folks decided to 
break in and steal everything. So uh, this was an investment of hundreds that was meant to hopefully reap thousands. And (laughs) yeah, not so much. So fun dealing with that. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's the worst thing to happen here to us, then I guess we're actually still in pretty good shape. So anyways, that's the little check-in on the home front. Uh, it is 9-11, oddly enough, 9-11, 9-1-1 on a Tuesday evening. I'm going to go here for just a little bit. My dear wife, Mrs. Pruitt, is sleeping, uh, which is not uncommon after a day of chemo. And so at some point in time, she's going to text me, and I'm going to get up and make her dinner and make myself dinner and watch the final episode of Bosch, which I've enjoyed on Amazon Prime since it debuted, and I just got through most of the series yesterday. So there you go. Meaningless things to share with you, but you know what? If you are a frequent listener of this show, which I refer to as my unpolished turd, the meaningless bits. I try to deliver up front the stuff about me that, meh, hopefully just brings you inside our world a little bit more so you understand the confused, complicated, and questionable mind of the guy who's answering your questions. Uh, You know, you understand him a little bit more. I'm going to say let's get rocking and rolling. And we are going to start with, man, that lozenge is dying on me. My voice is already cracking. Let's go with Chapin17 from Reddit. Going to open the show. We tend to open the show with one or two kind of scene setters where we visit with them for a little while. And then we pick up some pace with some shorter, quippier items. And Chapin17 says, hey, Marshall, not a question, but more of a comment. And a well done to NBC Sports. Firstly, The Indy 500 makeup show they put out on Sunday afternoon. I'm sure it was a tough day for many people who listen to the podcast, including me. But the show they did with Alexander Rossi, Simon Pagin, and Mike Tirico was a good watch and passed the time. Uh, So, totally agree. I really liked what they did. Uh, Spoke with Mark Miles today, and that was one of the questions he asked. Hey, what did you think of the show? Gave it big thumbs up overall. My only critique, since he asked, was I said, well, uh, hopefully this never has to happen again. But if it were to happen again, and there was some sort of pandemic or whatever crisis that caused the Indy 500 to be delayed, next time let's spend less of the opening hour on heavy, sad, uh, just weighty items. It seemed like one thing after another, after another, after another was some sort of like, oh, man. (sighs) Yes. Can we escape this thing for a couple hours at least and not think about how our worlds have been so radically changed? So my only note uh, was, hey, if we had to do this again, it'd be really cool to kind of have the heavy dramatic thing, then something light and easy, then something dramatic, then something light and easy. Just kind of instead of taking it down and keeping it down until we get to the start of the race yeah just bring it up a little bit so that was my only note there mr and mrs chapman 17 uh but i did think they really uh they did a super job 
number one thing that jumped out, which I mentioned to Mr. Miles as well, whatever speaking engagements you have or can create or ask to do with significant folks, sponsors, advertisers, men's groups, women's group, kids groups, whatever. If Alexander Rossi is available, get that guy on a plane, get him in a car, whatever. Uh, Alexander isn't big, you know, bubbly, ha-ha, hee-hee, burst of emotions guy. But boy, is he excellent at conveying thought and wisdom and feeling, right? But again, not in big blustery ways, but just really captivating ways. If there was a star that stood out from all this, uh, maybe for those who hadn't seen Alex, didn't know him or didn't know much of what he was like, I really found just about everything he shared during the interactions with Simon and Tariko to be spellbinding. And so, yeah, it's just so cool to see how Alexander can possess that much power uh, and also hold folks with his insights in a way that, you know, just a couple of years ago might not have been something he was ready to do or wanted to tap into. So uh, I know that Simon won the race, but if we're talking about the rebroadcasting of the race and the new bits thrown in, yeah, uh, good old Rossi racked up another win at the 500 in my book. Uh, Chapin 17 also says, secondly, moving the Texas race from NBCSN to NBC is big. Adds IndyCar hasn't been on primetime terrestrial TV since the 2013 Texas race. And I think Texas is the perfect race outside of the Indy 500 show. New fans, how exciting it is. There's always some drama and the cars look amazing under the lights. Thank you, NBC Sports. Another amen to open the show. This, this is a big deal. Big deal insofar that the head of NBC's programming, is it NBC or NBC Sports? I don't remember. John Miller, uh, that's the big, big, big boss. Uh, he's the one who decided that this will be so. That's amazing. Uh, you have many racing series that are involved with uh, whatever networks, and they got their deal, and that's great. Uh, some of them really could use a bump, could use some extra love. And to see NBC say, you know what, we're taking you off of cable, putting you on not only the big channel, but prime time Saturday night. Again, huge kudos to Mr. Miller. Uh, and you can add all the other good folks there who involve, who are involved, who decided, you know what? Let's play this up, give IndyCar more, and really hope that this pays off, not only for them, but for us uh, and our advertisers, and we get more people to follow along. Final quick note here, too. I hope it works, and we get a big old giant rating number. Then we kind of got to ask ourselves what we're going to do, provided everything goes on as expected uh, when we go racing at Indianapolis on July 4th on the road course. So <laughs> we're going to have this big primetime NBC thing, and we hope it's going to be great. And then we don't do anything for a month. So potential of entertaining new fans and showing the excitement 
all those things are there. And then at least how things are configured right now, schedulistically, not a word. Uh, boy, we're going to have to see if and what NBC might be able to do once we get into July. Because I think the bump, whatever it is, I think we'd have to expect that to be lost a little bit just due to the fact that we are spending a month away from IndyCar being on track and making memo We are moving to, where are we moving to? Jamie Carr, hey Jamie, says, different perspectives on rescheduling the Indy 500. This is Roger Penske's first 500 as the owner of the Speedway. There will be changes, and no matter if the changes are good, bad, or indifferent, people will complain and or compare to Holman because it is change. Now that the race is in August, anything different will be secondary to racing in August, not Memorial Day weekend. Will that different date ease the transition to Penske management of the 500 for when it returns to Memorial Day weekend? That's a great, great question. Uh, closes with an analogy is when a longtime pastor leaves a church, some churches intentionally hire an interim pastor to alleviate that's not how the last pastor did it effect until a new permanent pastor is hired. Man, I love questions from you, Jamie, and everyone else. You guys put some great thought into this and consider angles that as i mentioned quite often i'm supposed to be thinking about these things that i've done failed here so thanks jamie i feel smarter because i got a podcast and y'all send in stuff that isn't occurring to me my quick flash thought would be i don't think they're going to be any issues my friend it's not as if the Holman George family did anything bad or wrong in recent years, not at all. Just a number of improvement areas that folks had been wanting, and for whatever reason, fill in the blank, uh, that money wasn't committed. What Roger has done is come in and say, we're going to spend that money. And so if you take the core thing of the race day but the race overall the thing we come to and that we love and practice and qualifying and carb day and concerts and memorabilia shows those things are happening unchanged so all the core reasons we go there and what we go there for unchanged so i think that's a wash would be a wash if not really no nothing else happened there'd be complaints though uh, in terms of the amenities, the everything else, well, boy, they sure, why do you keep having these trashy bathrooms? Or why isn't this, you know, just modern amenities? I think there'd be big complaints if Penske did nothing. That's where the complaints would come from, but we know that's not the case. The main things, Jamie, that he and his team threw out at the very first press conferences and they have been consistent with is... Yeah, this is where we're actually focusing first. Uh, we're not really going to change the rest of the product because that's working. It's the other stuff that you all deserve more of or deserve these whatever areas to be better. So, of course, there are going to be complaints. The Penske group is going to get some things wrong. Of course, that's nature. But I think the overall effort of what they're doing and the fact that they've been the ones to come in and say, hey, 
sorry <laughs> sorry you've been dealing with some suboptimal stuff for a while and we're not necessarily going to get it all in year one but when you show up you're going to see a number of things that are better prettier smell nicer are available that weren't before uh you name it uh, we're just going to try and make the place better and more for you i i think that puts them in a really good place jamie if there was no plan to do that and it was just hey uh we bought it and we're just status quo in this sucker then yeah the uh the interim (coughs) why am i coughing i have no idea i thought might be the devil attacking me i was about to say the word pastor and got attacked uh sorry and i'm leaving this in that's for again for my first time listeners that's the whole thing about this unpolished turd weekend indie car listener q a show i just leave it all in so yeah there's no attempt to really be professional so to which my longtime listeners go yeah we got that from day one um i don't think there would be a need today if everything just goes forward as expected jamie but if rp came in bought it and said we're not doing a darn thing oh you bet Hey, Randy Bernard, you want to come be the face of this thing for a little while? Uh, Hey, Brian Barnhart, we're elevating you back to president and head guy and whatever. Yeah, we're going to go hide out on pit lane. Don't try not to get yelled at, but none of that's happening, man. So I think we're going to be pretty happy where I think there's an interesting question. the, The question isn't interesting. The answers will be interesting. It's going to be the week after the 500. I cannot wait to read your submissions when we get through it. And for those, obviously, who were there to say, hey, yeah, loved this, but why didn't you do that? Or, yeah, you kind of half got this right, but, man, that uh, boy, what did you not think about the other thing? And So, yeah, I can't wait to hear what folks have to say, the, uh, the pluses and the old minuses. Let's go to Jeremy Lorton. says, MP, let's say in a dream world, the prancing horse of Ferrari does come to IndyCar. What does it do for the series here and globally? Ah, great question, Jeremy. And since we're talking fantasy, which this is, my first thought is Italy gets a much better TV contract. <laughs> IndyCar has the best italian television network presence than it ever has in the history of ever uh that's the first thing you know the the thing here jeremy that it's another question that i really do not i don't know if i have the answer to i have an answer to so indycar so ferrari uh they're gonna come here and race in 2022 and they're also going to be an F1 and who knows whatever else. Okay, let's just say that's going to happen. As long as Scuderia Ferrari is competing in Formula One, uh, even at the $145 million euro or whatever budget cap they're talking about, we still have Ferrari in Formula One. That is that is still the most attractive thing for its fans of which there are many if ferrari were to leave formula one which is not something they have 
really mentioned as a realistic threat and were to come to IndyCar, then I think we would have some serious potential benefits. But as long as it was the big show staying where it is and then kind of the little regional show over here, of course there would be some extra eyeballs. I don't know how many, though, unless we're talking some tantalizing driver, world-famous driver who's uh, Sebastian Vettel. Unless it is someone with a big name and a big following that would follow them to IndyCar, I actually don't think a dual Ferrari F1 and IndyCar presence does a ton for IndyCar in terms of growth and TV ratings and advertisers coming in. It would do something, clearly. I just don't think it would be giant. And the reason being is as long as F1 is there, that's always the big shiny object that has drawn people to Ferrari. It's this crazy expensive, super exclusive, highly exotic thing. As long as they still have that, there's no void to try and fill with IndyCar. It's an add-on. So, yeah, there'd be some prestige. There'd be some fun stuff. Obviously, Ferrari's a big brand name. I think it makes it easier for the teams that, assuming Ferrari's engines would be available to others, um, would make it possibly a little easier for some teams to find some funding, knowing the brand association with Ferrari could be a little bit easier for other teams not with Ferrari, but to say, hey, Ferrari's here. I mean, there's all positives. There's no negatives. It's all positives. I just don't know if it's a huge bump, though, Jeremy, as long as they're in F1. So, yeah, globally, again, sure, I'm, uh, I'm sure more, more folks would tune in. But, you know, this comes back to this TV package, which is no longer the greatest it's ever been on an international stage. So maybe that helps IndyCar to try and seek better, uh, more friendly wide-reaching TV contracts, knowing that it has Ferrari, which also has tons of fans just about everywhere. So, again, this would be a huge blessing for IndyCar, but it becomes a serious game-changer if it comes at the expense of Formula One. Let's go to Howard Bennett. How you doing, Howard Bennett? Uh, Marshall, had to watch Saturday night's Indy 500 Legends trophies, sim races. Says there was a very special moment when the breakaway leaders of Fernando Alonso and Jensen Button were caught and ably and respectively, respectfully, my lips stopped working, followed for many laps by none other than a gum-chewing and full-on concentrating Mario Andretti. Says he may have been a lap down, but it was something very impressive on his first sim race. Absolute class. Oh, and I think Emo finished 10th. Again, mightily impressive. So, full admission here, I was really psyched and really wanted to catch it live. I haven't, and so here we are on a Tuesday night, and it's on the DVR, and I still got to watch it. So, I read a little bit of the race report, saw that Fernando did his thing, and Jensen did his thing. Um, I didn't so much catch up on the Mario part, so you're educating me here, Howard. Uh, So, this does sound pretty cool. I do know that, you know, Mario... (laughs) 
Mario's willingness to risk his life is less than what it was when he was younger and competing full time. But his competitiveness has never waned at all. And it's such a beautiful thing about him. You speak with some older retired racers, even some again, who might go do some vintage races or whatever. And there are, some can be a bit defanged you know it's it's that sad thing of a a big lion with a huge mane and you go my look at that that is just epic epic display of life and dominance and all these things and you see oh it, its fangs are kind of whittled down and gone it doesn't have any claws and eh, doesn't really roar very loud but you can see its majesty you just eh, it's it's not that thing that is ready to scare the crap out of you and take your head off anymore. It's a, for hashtag me personally, it's, it's a little bit sad. Uh, and so I'm not just talking about age. Age doesn't naturally do that. There's a mental downshifting that takes place. And there are some veteran drivers, Indy 500 winners and champions and all kinds of stuff of IndyCar that I happen to know or maybe be friends with and love. And they tell great stories and yada, 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 yada. But you can absolutely tell the fire inside to compete and win is no longer there in many, not all, but many. That kind of defanged thing mario ain't that guy <laughs> mario might not want to drive at a 100 percent lap after lap after lap but if you tell him i want here's a car go out and race these people he's going to go out with everything inside of him saying let's go get a trophy let's go win i can do this and it's just something that i love about him uh, there, you know, not many Bobby Unser, although he's, you know, a bit frail right now. There is nothing in his mind that has ever downshifted and slowed down. So again, that's the thing I love about Mario Howard. And it sounds like that's what was uh, being presented that I need to watch uh, on ESPN. Uh, let's go to Brett Ross. Hey, Brett this is MP. I enjoyed the better half IndyCar race and I racing any hashtag exclusive scoop that Mrs. Kanan uh, got a road to Indy ride. Yeah, I did watch the first of those two races with my wife, and we loved it. And I was rooting for Claire Bourdais. Oh, I mean, my wife was thinking there was something wrong with me uh, because I'm just, like, cheering for Claire like mad. Was she sat on pole, fell back a couple spots, and I think it was a 25-lap race in Pro Mazda's at gateway um i think it was gateway wherever it was i'm sorry um and was leading dicing with lauren canon and i'm just cheering for claire so hard not nothing against lauren or any of the other women competing just because i wanted claire to win so bad so i could call board day and just go ha 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 you suck 
and just ride him mercilessly, right? I mean, the guy, and granted, Seb actually improved drastically from uh, the first race to the last in IndyCar's iRacing Challenge, but still, I just love the idea of this guy who kind of hated it and who could not wait to get rid of his, uh, uh, you know, super expensive uh, force feedback wheel and all this stuff. I think Larry Foyt bought it from him, but uh, couldn't wait to get rid of it all, and then all of a sudden found finds out that, oh, well, Claire... Claire is going to do this race and first time out man she's on freaking pole and almost wins the thing oh man I mean I just that years of roasting him was just right there until Lauren got into Claire but I thought it was awesome uh, I really did the thing that I loved uh, as well about this Brett is you can see that you know, on the surface, this was the better half invitational and, you know, it's the, the wives and girlfriends of all the IndyCar drivers and, you know, fish out of water type thing. And how are they going to do? And, you know, low expectations should be fun and some crashing and, you know, lighthearted, blah, 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 I think was the expectation for some. It was really cool to see that while so many of the women who were competing were doing it for the very first time and had, you know, again, no experience driving a race car, no sim experience whatsoever. You did see their competitive and athletic backgrounds just rise up immediately. And I'm not saying all the women have the athletic and competitive backgrounds, but you know, whether it's Emma Dixon and her, you know, Olympic grade running, uh, it could be dance, it could be you name it, but things where you go, oh, this involves, you know, if it's not a direct competition with other athletes, this thing that you have spent many, many years of your life, maybe as a, you know, a younger woman or a girl, but something that involved some form of physical mastery and hand-eye coordination and just, you know, intense dedication to this physical uh, performing of whatever artistic thing uh, or athletic thing. I just thought it was really cool to see a bunch of women who, again, zero experience, basically real race cars are virtual, and you got to see that, oh, no wonder uh so many of the men that are married to or dating or otherwise these women no wonder they found a connection because it's not like oh star athlete husband and just demure cute woman it's like no in many cases here's the heart of a competitor and who knows what it was softball swimming again i don't know basketball I just thought it was really awesome uh, seeing that come out. And it was clear that for some of the women, uh, I hope they continue going, uh, doing more sim racing. And who knows, maybe get behind the wheel because there could be something real to explore there. So I just, I loved it, Brett. And yeah, man, that's still giving Borde a hard time. And he was doing his best to... Uh, accept it uh on the good old twitters let's go to our pal jim kaiser who sends in haiku for us tell me another racing podcast 
that has regular haiku. Thank you, Jim. You're amazing. No fans in the stands? I don't care. Just bring them on. Need screaming engines? Once again, Week in IndyCar Haiku brought to you by our listener, Jim Kaiser. Got to meet Jim and his kids last year at Laguna Seca. That was pretty darn cool. All right, going to do a couple more here, then shut off the old talkity box machine for the night, and then go make some din-din for Mrs. Pruitt and myself. Uh, We're going to go to Charming Charles 2896. Hey, Marshall, what do you think the likelihood is that the race at Texas goes off without a hitch, i.e. no catastrophic crashes or COVID-19-related situations to make IndyCar look like a bunch of amateurs? Well, Charming Charles, 2896, you are asking a question that I have posed a couple of times in recent weeks, and some of y'all have posed, uh, but this is the first time I think we've had both catastrophic crashes or COVID-19-related situations thrown into the same question. Uh, How about, I don't have an expectation to get through Texas without one of the two crashes as i've said seems like about 50 50 events percentage of events where we have big memorable crashes there are going to be crashes that's not a question it's the holy cow did you see that explosion of whatever and cars flying through the air and thank god everyone was safe we either we have that about 50 percent of the time so that's those are odds that aren't great to get through your minefield here Uh, The other one being COVID-19, I would say, boy, that would be really, really strange to have, I think the number they've capped, I think it's 648 is what I've heard total, everybody on site. So I've mentioned this number before as well, but I'll just bring it up here quickly. So as a guy who learned to be okay in math and had to do, you know, race strategy and engineering and numbers and this kind of stuff. Yeah, I would say it would be bizarre, almost an act of whichever God you might believe in or whatever God of atheism you believe in. Um, I would say it would almost be a divine act to transport, we'll just say round number, 650 people to an event, put them all in the same general proximity, even with social distancing and whatnot, Uh, even with doing forehead temperature scans and checklists and submitting all kinds of things and answering questions like we do every time we go to the hospital uh, or we go, frankly, a lot of places these days, same kind of questions. Have you been in around this? Do you have these symptoms? Do you have that symptom? Do you know anybody this, that, right? Go through all those things. It'd be really bizarre numerically. If 650 people went in and 650 people came out and there were zero COVID-19 alerts, um, illnesses that followed, not because anyone at Texas Motor Speedway or IndyCar or whatever has done something drastically wrong, just the odds, man. <laughs> if you have something that spreads from people and you put 650 people together in a, it's not 
super confined space, but you know, just you know, it's not like everyone's just quarter mile away from one another. Uh, that cough, that sneeze, that whatever. Um, man, the stories of people getting this virus from really strange things, and you go, I have covered up i have put on 15 masks and you know all the like i was the person who went through the most outrageous methods to avoid catching this and i still got it like that's the thing that points me to the tell me where to bet tell me where to bet what are the odds on zero going in and zero going out i will put i don't have any money but i will put whatever money i don't have big non-money on that not happening and again it has nothing to do with track series or anything it's just the numbers the numbers tell us it have to be a miracle so yeah that's uh i'd say if we finish the genesis 300 at texas motor speedway brought to you on nbc june 6th and we have no catastrophic crashes and we do not learn of covid19 spreading to or cropping up on at least one person (sighs) further proof there's a lord uh we're gonna take one more question then i gotta go Mrs. Pruitt just texted me, by the way. I kind of have a feeling. This goes to Justin Vroom. It says, do you see adding new tracks to the current calendar? Or are we just going to see a shuffling of the tracks that we have now with more double headers to get the count up? Say New Hampshire to replace Richmond. It would obviously take a state that would be willing to have a large event with fans in the stands. And I don't know which governor wants to be that guinea pig. So just. Justin, Jesus really does need to be the end for the night. My voice is cracking again. Take another sip. Sorry, guys. Ugh. No. This is something that has come up in IMSA a couple times of late with folks saying, hey, if we can't go here, can we go there? There's a bunch of great tracks to go to. And that's very true. The reality is money contracts advertising expectations all kinds of things have already been in place and established with the full 17 race calendar that was published at the end of last you know that was published last year for 2020 to think that a track that is close with indycar did business had things lined up was ready to go sold tickets all those things would then just say, oh, yeah, go replace us with another track just because it's relationships, Justin. That's the main thing here, and that's the thing that will be protected. Uh, of course, IndyCar could go to a variety of places. To I mean, seriously, they go all over the place to make up races and to get the overall race count up, but... The reason they're doing double headers and they're going to the Indianapolis road course 19 times this year, you know, the reason that there's repetition is you know, these are the ones that have come to dance with the series and you got to respect that or you lose your dance partners for the ones that have lost races, truly lost 
this is hard hard for them financially hard for them from a justification standpoint staffing wise how do we pay for stuff you know we may have paid a sanction fee to hold that indycar race and or any other races they've had to cancel but we were expecting to make back you know double triple you name it these are all things that were supposed to be additive and to bring money in and grow and keep everything good and you know for a richmond like you mentioned here you know how much time and effort went into this this is a big deal really a big deal our return to richmond so much time and effort went into making this uh, if IndyCar were to go and just strike kind of a gimme race to go to Loudon, um, man, I, I think Richmond would be giving IndyCar the quadruple middle finger here, the willpower ceremonial double bird, but doubled on top of that, uh, from Loudon. So that's the main thing I would just say here, Justin, the options are there that's not the issue there are certainly places where we could have a quadruple header you know it just over and over and over again we can do all kinds of things at all kinds of different tracks but just know that the relationships between the tracks and the series that's what the indycar series is going to lean towards and to protect so some of these tracks really do need it Uh, so that's our stopping point for the night uh, I see here that we're kind of, sort of, it appears maybe almost halfway through. Hell, I don't know. Uh, maybe not even close. But I do appreciate appreciate everything you sent in. My lips are failing me. I'm not kidding here. I do appreciate everything you sent in. And I look forward to getting back to business on this tomorrow. Oh, did I mention I'm not sure who our guest is going to be on the show? Uh, the actual guest show. I know that Zach Brown is listed, but um, communicate good about that, not them do. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that pans out. Just know that I'm prepared to have to wing it a bit, and I already have a substitute guest or two in mind that I might have to pull the trigger on. So. We'll see what I'm talking about when I resume here, probably Wednesday night, uh, and whether the Zach Brown interview happened or didn't. All right, I'll talk to you in a little bit. Well, it's certainly not Wednesday night. It's actually Thursday at a reasonable hour. It's 6.14 p.m. Mrs. Pruitt is resting. Uh, Let's see. Did successfully (laughs) complete... The Week in IndyCar guest show with Zach Brown and enjoyed that. Uh, Wrote a kind of not too happy opinion piece about something that I've known about for a good while. It's been going down with my independent photographer brothers and sisters in some of your favorite North American racing series. And yeah... I realize that most of you probably know me as a writer slash reporter and podcast guy. Also a really long time professional racing photographer, but it's not one of the frontline things that I do. Therefore, I'm probably not thought of so much as one because, you know, 
y'all aren't exactly thumbing through dozens of my photos each day on the interwebs or wherever else. But yeah, uh, this one hits close to home. As I mentioned on the tweeters, I think in the book faces, I am very, very fortunate to be a guy that does three or four different things to earn a living. And sometimes I do all those things for a client. Sometimes I do one thing. I'm super thankful that my primary, if not only, form of income uh, came from being a professional racing photographer, small business owner, and independent person. Because if so, my wife and I would be screwed using the current policies in place by multiple racing series that only allow the full-time employees at the series or the large agency those series have hired and gone into business with uh, access to races currently taking place in about two, one of them being IndyCar. So will my little story thing make any changes? I don't know. But part of what I do and other writers do beyond doing the news pieces and the whatever else's is trying to bring some of the shoddy and underhanded things to light. And if nothing else, at least we can say, nope, you didn't keep this dirty business secret. So there we go. That's what I've been doing. That's why I'm about a day late getting back to you here on the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A. Hey, by the way, uh, something that stood out here. Uh, just a little while ago, and I sent a note to our dear partners at Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Had a good long call today with Ed Justice, by the way. Amazing guy. Uh, TorontoMotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets USA. We are about a week away, I predict, from reaching a milestone that seemed like it was never, ever, 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 ever going to be possible when i launched this silly podcast back in may of 2016 and that is five million downloads slash streams five million listens to this thing Uh, again we're roughly on pace for that happening next week maybe end of next week uh, early june so wow (laughs) It's just crazy for me. As I always mention, I know for those who listen to the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, I used to listen to it all the time, just haven't had the time for a couple of years. But, I mean, come on. Or, I don't know, name Adam Carolla, Bill Burr, uh, name whatever it is that's popular. Like, those people are going to do $5 million in a month if not a week. So, again, this is just the craziest drop in the podcasting bucket, meaningless in the scope of all things that are truly popular, at least for what we do with this kind of sort of open wheel and sports car show, like 5 million since the show started about four years ago. I don't know, man. Uh, Just thanks. Just crazy thanks. So I'm going to say more thanks and gushy things, Uh, when we do cross that threshold and so okay let's get rolling and wrap up the show here i have 
about two and a half sips of coffee left. I have a drink bottle that is mostly full with water sprinkled in with a little bit of Gatorade. That's my magic potion. Gatorade zero, by the way, zero sugar. Uh, So hopefully my voice won't break on you and we can knock out the rest of the show. And one other random thing that popped into my head, finished watching Bosch last night. And while my lady was sleeping, started the first, I think, two episodes or three of Altered Carbon on the good old Netflix. I loved season one of Altered Carbon. So was holding off to get into season two here, which I have. So what do those things mean on my IndyCar listener Q&A podcast? That'd be absolutely nothing. But if you're listening, you know me and you know that I just kind of talked to y'all and here we go. So we're picking back up the questions. Oh, you have questions. Let's go to Northern Penguin 01. Hey, Marshall, do you think the cancellation of this year's Toronto Indy puts the future of the race in jeopardy? No, I don't. I do have fears, but I also believe that there's enough Canadian interest, sentiment, and sponsorship to make it still happen. The only thing that casts it into jeopardy is if the promoter, Green Savory Race Promotions, would fall into financial disrepair. If the people who put on the race are in trouble financially, then yes, that could cast a shadow over Toronto, but also St. Petersburg, which they promote, Mid-Ohio, which they own slash promote, and Portland, which they promote. So that's almost 25% of the normal IndyCar calendar. And while Roger Penske, as my voice starts to crack, isn't fond of just giving money away, I would have to believe that if Green Savory did hit any kind of speed bump, road bump, uh, or nudge the guardrail, the captain would realize this might be an investment worth making, considering how 25% or so of the calendar takes place as a result of the really good people at Green Savory Race Promotions. Uh, let's see, also say fault questions. What are the prospects of having more races in Canada in the future? Hashtag me personally would love to see a Canadian Triple Crown again, like the one Champ Car ran. Maybe Toronto, Montreal, and a race somewhere in Western Canada. Vancouver. Let's go back to Vancouver. Uh, but that's coming from a Canadian who fell in love with IndyCar from the Edmonton Champ Car races, so I'm biased. Well, I'm biased too. I'm not Canadian, uh, but I have told folks forever, going to Canada for the Vancouver race, uh, going there at Montreal, going to Mosport for you know sports car races, going to obviously the Honda Indy Toronto uh, I'm trying to think where else I've been. Uh, been to Trois-Rivières for Indy Lights races. These are all back in the day when I was mechanic, engineer, or team manager. Sometimes all at once. Uh, yeah, love me some Canadia. So I'm with you. I'd love to see a quadruple crown. Um, do I think it's going to happen anytime soon? Absolutely not. It would take a wealthy individual promoter with serious backing behind them to step up and say, hey, let's do it. So I know there's been interest or attempts by 
Rick Peterson, co-owner of Aero McLaren SP, also known as Spam, to hold one, what was it, in around Edmonton, I think? Was it Edmonton? Do I might have that off, but wherever. Um, that's about the last thing I heard. So I can only hope because the more IndyCar races in Canada, the better off we are as a series and the happier I am. Uh, let's go to our man, Josh Ponce. Marshall, what are your thoughts on maybe IndyCar or any other racing series for that matter, reducing the amount of practice sessions during the race weekend? Just watching what NASCAR uh, has been doing since they returned to racing. Granted, that's in response to a pandemic, but seems like this could benefit some budgeting expense for teams and may provide a better experience for fans. Billy Potter um, throws in something about what a typical morning for a race strategist looks like and how much does that uh, the schedule get scrambled with some of these one-day events. Eh, let me start with Billy first. So race strategists start their event preparation by doing historical lookbacks and analysis. This is not just last year's race, but they'll go back many years. <laughs> Honestly, uh, you'll have a lot of IndyCar race strategists who are also sometimes the team owner, often the team owner or team manager, general manager, whatever. Um, they will, I'm saying they'll do the lookbacks, trying to pick out historical trends. What I should really say is they will instruct one of their employees, usually one of the junior race engineer, data engineer, performance engineer, again, someone lower in the totem pole to put together a good old statistical report on strategery. Now, and the other thing too, just from a practicality standpoint, it's not like they go back and do a five-year report every for every event, meaning I need to go back and gather data going five years back for all races. What all teams have, and I have to assume this, if there's one that doesn't shame on them, is they have all these things already inputted. So it's not a case of having to start the work. A brand new team would have to add to a spreadsheet or whatever they use to crunch these uh, pieces of information. But after last year's Texas race, Knowing that, again, it was 248 laps, this year is going to be 200. But looking back, they will have put in length of the race, how many cautions, duration of cautions, the fuel strategy that they did, how much fuel was used here, here, and here, tire usage, how long they were able to stretch, uh, if they did any short fills. They'll look at all the scenarios. They'll look at the other teams as well, because this is all readily available. Uh to figure out what other teams did. If a team blew it on strategy, oh man, we went for a three-stop strategy and it should have been four, they'll be able to look and parse out what the successful strategies happened to do and how they did it versus their own, which is unsuccessful. So all this information will be parsed. All these reports will be generated. And they're just, it's a prospectus. You know, traditionally, I'm just making this up. Traditionally, there's a yellow at Texas within the first seven laps. All right, well, it's no guarantee it's going to happen, Billy. But at least you can look and say, boy, the odds are, looking back at the last, again, five years, whatever the duration might be, we it suggests that these are the windows when things start to go bad. At least we can start think strategically. 
how we might need to react to those things. Of course, they're going to be curveballs, but that's the script that teams are looking at. What happened in the past? Are there trends? I need to keep those trends in mind, just floating, truly floating in my conscious, but also I'll have that printed out, possibly thrown up on a monitor to look at. Just make sure that you're trying to keep trends in your general sphere of strategery. As for some of these one-day events, again, it doesn't really matter, right? Uh, If we think about it, most races, unless they've had rain delays that push them to multiple days, all happen on a one-day event. So really nothing that different there. Uh, To your point, Josh, so yeah, these one-day events that, uh, or at least we know Texas is going to be one day, we genuinely have no idea what any of the following events will be or whether they're going to happen as intended or get pushed back or, but uh, here's just a quick note. Some of you know how much I love rain delays and how having a bit of the rain dry in the track surface for the start of the race being totally different than planned throws a big wrench into things. Sometimes as well, maybe it's weather, maybe it's who knows, earthquake, fire, flooding, whatever. We've had a lot of reasons over the years where an event gets shortened on the front end. And so we're kind of sort of qualifying and going straight into racing. And we haven't had much time to really run and run and run and perfect the car. Those races, by and large, tend to be amazing. Because instead of everyone having just crammed and studied forever for the test and then go and start the 200 lap test or however many lap test and everybody's operating at a high level of expertise, the ones where folks show up and they're having to wing it, you know, if it's a Scantron test or whatever, and you're kind of circling some answers where you go, I don't know, (laughs) I'm, I'm truly gambling on this one. Those tend to be pretty darn amazing because you have more teams missing the setup. You might have other teams that aren't exactly sure how, but they nailed the setup to start and then possibly lose it as the race goes on or adjust in the wrong direction. I love stuff like this, Josh. So the fact that it is happening and will happen at least at Texas through uh, because of this coronavirus um it very well could and should lead to some pretty unpredictable racing and yeah i'm telling you unpredictable racing is about as good as it can get what i've seen from a schedule which hasn't been published yet to my knowledge but if you're listening maybe you'll get to know is we're going to have i think it's a it's a 30 minute session for rookies only on uh, starting i think it's 12 10 to 12 40 on saturday june 6th we then it rolls into directly a i think it's an 80 minute all skate everyone a single practice session so that'll run from 12 40 to whenever add an hour and 20 minutes to that we then go into qualifying single car qualifying And then we go race. So the rookies will end up getting 
an hour and 50 minutes of on-track time, the rookies will also get one extra set of tires. For everyone else, well, you get 80 minutes, period. Figure it out. It's also, here's the other fun part to close, Josh. That's happening again at, you know, late 12 o'clock, across 1 o'clock and such. The race happens later in the day when it's going to be cooler and there's going to be shadows and there's going to be all kinds of stuff. That means all the things that we learned during the very limited track time in that single practice session, it's not exactly going to apply to the weather, to the ambient conditions they're running in later in the day. So it's just an even bigger gamble and opportunity for teams to not quite nail stuff. So I am just saying... I would expect Texas to be a what the heck just happened. <laughs> Not a look, Team X was up front from start to finish. From the moment practice started, they are on the pole, and then they just ran and won the race. If that happens, everything that I know about the sport will be defied. So I can't wait. Uh, just hope that everything's safe. Uh, yeah. All right, we're going to go to, let's see, Ian Keyworth. You ask about uh, anything I might know about the international TV package uh, for the upcoming new season. I thought all that stuff was kind of sort of presented and posted before we got to St. Pete in March, Ian. So I might look all that up to get that answer. I don't know of any changes coming for the rest of the year. Uh, Where are we going to go next? All right, now this is a rather relevant, a rather relevant item here from our friend, don't know again, male or female, Covenant121. says, hello, Marshall. I hope you and your wife are well. Thank you. I understand that IndyCar has had to furlough and layoff many people due to the pandemic. Regarding the social media team, it seems that there's only one person handling that. There's also been a rumor that many of the old social media team members were let go when Penske took over. Wouldn't have made sense that the social media team was the most essential part to keep during this pandemic. So as I already brought it up in the podcast before, that I believe IndyCar social media presence is really, really bad. They haven't uploaded a video to YouTube since the iRacing series ended. They barely make any content for Twitter or Instagram. No offense to those who use Facebook, but Facebook has a much older demographic, and that's the only site that IndyCar actively uses not the way to get new younger fans at all. Okay, I mean, I don't know. Should I start at the uh, the tail end here first? Obvious statement alert for those who know. For those who don't, maybe it's informational. IndyCar's demographic is old white men. Might ask, why did I throw in white? Does it matter? Well, it doesn't. It just happens to be what it is. So old white men, and I mean 55 plus, uh, like old white men, truly the bulk of those who watch the races, support the races, love the races of the IndyCar peoples. Not a coincidence, (laughs) because I see it every day, on the book face, on Facebook, that that indeed, as you note, uh, skews much older in terms of participants. If you want the youths, 
you know you're not going to Facebook. You also know that if you want to connect with your core current demographic, older white folks, you would not be blowing up a TikTok account. So just from a practicality standpoint, I totally understand why IndyCar would embrace Facebook heavily because that's where they're going to contact and communicate with the majority of their current fans. Your point of, but hey, (laughs) don't we need them new fans, the newer models uh, that came off the assembly line, you know, 15, 10, 20, 25, 30 years ago? Absolutely an amen. So no argument there. Just understand there is a genuine reason why Facebook is used so heavily. So here's the, the, if this is inside baseball, I don't know, but it's what it is. You mentioned social media team and that members, plural, were let go. Well, there was one. (laughs) I have never known of IndyCar to have multiple social media personnel. If there has been slash were, then it's, I missed it, but knowing pretty much everyone that's worked in that department for 10, 12 plus years since I started doing this, I've only known of one person in charge, a single person being placed in charge of social media. Does that mean, of course, that others within the department might have login access and could post something like it, a retweet, whatever? I would assume so. But in terms of who has the responsibility, it's been one person. I don't know the exact timeline. The guy's name was Dakota. Thought he was a bit of a train wreck. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Uh, met him. I was told he was their newish guy beginning of last year, 2019, and was told that, I don't remember exactly when, July, August, September, something of last year. This is well before Penske time, before anyone knew about any anything, that he left and I think went to work for a stick and ball league, a big one. It might have been hockey again. I don't know. But he left. And I am unaware of anyone being hired to fill that person's void. So I think that the former members of the communications department I'm guessing, kind of did it by committee. But, yeah, so that's been a thing for a while. What I would share here, if it's of value, yes, indeed, furloughs and firings. Again, you call it layoff, whatever. You know, people get got fired. They're no longer there, uh, released. So a week before... The shutdown, there were four. No, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say the exact timeline because I don't remember the exact timeline. But let's just say going into St. Petersburg, all press releases and communications coming from IndyCar had four names at the bottom. Mike Zizzo, Arnie Sreben, Kurt Cavan, and Kate Davis. Shortly after the shutdown started and... Cost cutting began. Both Arnie and Kurt were furloughed for, I think, two months. 
In theory, they should be coming back online here, I think, in June. I hope in June. Um, Arnie's the the seven-tool player on the team. Can do everything, does everything, is just an amazing friend to the paddock, to the media. He, again, he's kind of the heart and soul of IndyCar from a communications standpoint need ourselves some Arnie Kurt Cavan hasn't been there long was the former head of communications was kind of stood down to head of content creation. I think more in his wheelhouse, having been a reporter forever at uh, the Indy star covering IndyCar slash the IRL only Kurt's the guy that, Boy, I really don't understand why they sat him down for two months. Because to your point, there isn't any racing happening during the shutdown. But your fans did not go anywhere. Your fans want content. So naturally, you stand down your primary content creator. Write me some stories, do some historical lookbacks, maybe grab some photos and do some little captions or thoughts or whatever. Among the most mind-boggling decisions IndyCar has made during the shutdown. I know some might be saying, really, a guy in the communications department getting furloughed, that's crazy. Just saying. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I, I thank them for doing it. Because it's just sent even more people to Racer because we're cranking out stuff all day, every day. But this was a strategical error. (laughs) It's just led more folks to go elsewhere to find their IndyCar content. So, okay. So they're coming. Those two should come back online. Mike Zizzo, who was the head of communications and one of the two best in the country doing it, he was let go. I know the reason why I've been told the reason why it makes I it's look, Mike wasn't my employee. So that was their choice. Uh, I don't get it, but Hey, that's what they did. So um, anyways, uh, I have referred Mike um, to an opportunity elsewhere that who knows Um, this would definitely be IndyCar's loss. If uh, things work out for Mike. Uh, elsewhere so this leaves kate davis who i don't really know super well um found out in our conversations that she and i are born in the bay area so she's across the east bay but nonetheless that doesn't make either of us good or bad people it just means like oh who who to thunk the the woman who's spoken highly of coming over from nascar is actually from the bay area too what do you know um i've come to speak been decent amount of time speaking with Kate since the shutdown and since she became the lone person standing in the comms department and I got all the time in the world for uh, I, I think she's pretty darn awesome mention all this covenant 121 because that's what we're really getting at the heart of things one person so one person to write a press release to come up with content to put on the website to 
move something onto YouTube, I'm guessing, um, and to handle social media. This, if, if there are complaints to send and criticisms to level, they are a thousand percent deserved by the folks who decided to take a small communications department of four people and turn it into one during a time when fans are and were craving content. It's not as if the shutdown happened and racing stopped and only then did folks go, huh, we're kind of seeing that folks still want to wake up and read about IndyCar or watch something or listen to something. We didn't have to start the shutdown to understand that, hey, you know how we just ramped up for the start of the season and it all came to a grinding halt before it began? Well, there's people at the gates waiting to get in to enjoy and consume. Feed them. We didn't have to go into the shutdown for someone to go, oh, I never thought of that. It was the most obvious thing. It's what everyone else did. Go, oh, we better start coming up with crap now because there's a big void. We don't know how long it's going to last. Again, uh, throw this one back at IndyCar. It's not Kate. It's not Kevin. It's not Arnie. It's why did you decimate the department that communicates to the world and hopefully amuses and entertains them in times like this? Don't get it. Do not get it. Uh, Let's go to Mark Fleetwood. Hey, Mark says MP in this time of economic downturn. Could you see, and I hate to even say this since we love the idea of more teams in any car, any teams merging to increase their odds of survival. Also says best to my wife, Shabrell and I, and hope we cross paths on a grid next year. Well, I'm with you, Mark. I hope that we do. Uh, I haven't heard anything of we're on the brink. Famous last words, right? Tomorrow morning story comes out. Pruitt, an even bigger idiot than we thought. Team X on the brink. Um, I'm trying to think of any teams where I'm like, wow, okay. You know, do I know of behind the scenes? There are some that are really, you know, having a hard, harder time that worry me. And even if I weren't to mention them by name, um, I'm just looking through the list right now. I don't know of, of anything that might qualify for merger need because of problems today. Could that change? If we get through Texas, and then again, keep in mind, we have almost a month until the next race. And again, who knows? Uh, we don't flatten the curve and the Corolla virus perks back up and there's a decision in whatever state or whatever that, hey, no, actually, we got to pull back and we go into more months of inactivity and yada, yada, yada. Like, yeah, I think the thing that concerns me most, Mark, is if there's a second wave. Obviously, I'm not the only person in the country worried about a second wave, but this is a thing where I think if we can get back to Texas, all goes well at Texas, or as intended, a month is still a long time to wait, 
But yeah, there you go. If we're good and we can then get to Indianapolis road course and where else? Well, okay. Yeah, no, not there. Um, I'm, lo- I'm looking up at my schedules and I've kept them on the wall and I just looked at the wrong two of the wrong ones and I'm going like, that doesn't compute. If we can get to Indy 4th of July, then go and do a double header a week later at Elkhart Lake and then roll into a double header at Iowa. I'd say if we can get through July, that would be massive. Obviously, we want to keep going with no issues. We want to get through August, get the Indy 500 done again. I understand all these things. Just trying to be realistic, Mark. If we can get Texas in as planned, then sit for a month, which is going to be a little bit scary, but hopefully then roll through a pretty packed and busy July. I think that gets enough confidence going, enough checks coming in from sponsors and or, you know, satisfying the sponsors who've already prepaid some stuff like, okay, you know, we've gotten back some goods uh, for what we paid. I think real fears then go away. We truly want to get through August, get the Indy 500 in. If there were by chance to be a second wave, if you could place it anywhere and it had to be while the season was ongoing, it would be after the Indy 500. Again, obvious stuff. But in theory, if we could get July in, that's going to have a lot of people just exhaling, going, okay, we're actually racing. We're on TV. Sponsors are seeing this. We, we're, we're satisfying everything. We can get through August as well. Holy cow. Then I think we're absolutely good. If anything were to slow down or derail September and October, none of that would be awesome. But I would say the sport would be in a pretty safe space. So, again, obviously, we hope that nothing gets lost. All right. Where are we going to go with our last handful of questions? And if I don't get to all your questions, by the way, please send them in next week. Uh, I need to rest a little bit, folks. So, sorry if I'm taking a little bit of a podcasting knee here. Uh, trying to, I don't know, however much time I go until my brain officially shuts off. Um, let's go to Joseki 100, our pal from Italy. This has some, some questions about an 8500 setup. First, how do teams find the perfect gearing compromise? What is the aim for first, second, and third gear? Second, do teams ever use their max power engine maps in practice? If not, how do they find the perfect sixth gear? I know this map is only available for a limited amount of laps. Um, and you got a couple other things thrown in here. I'm going to stop there because, yeah, uh, we'll be talking all day. Well, there are some really good software packages where you can input all the numbers of interest and really figure out the speed and mile per hour that each ratio will deliver. So it's kind of straightforward math. Going back in the old day, I remember, what, just having a photocopied sheet when I was changing gears. 
uh, needed to do a, a gear stack change and a whatever formula Ford and Atlantic car or whatever. And yeah, just be a printout from the gearbox manufacturer, uh, could be the gear ratio vendor and it would be of this gear ratio equates to, uh, you know, and this many RPMs, uh, and this speed, and you can really quickly figure out that, aha, well, first gear, uh, I'm not getting the punch off the corner that I want. And although it stretches out a bit, stretches its legs, which is great once I get pointed straight, I'm losing time on initial acceleration. I know you're talking 8,500. I'm just sharing in general here. Uh, it's pretty easy to go, uh-huh. So the 21-26 ratio I had, maybe that's not the one. Maybe I want the 2024. Maybe I want the pick, whatever it might be. Um not all that hard so then spreadsheets right when laptop computers became a thing you'd use excel or whatever preferred software spreadsheet you would cook up sometimes you could you know there are folks who sold these things as well and you just put in your key gearbox information final drive ratio and blah 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 and you're just sitting there trying to come up with the best acceleration curves um, while reaching the anticipated top speed um, that you would want or need to achieve. And pre-data acquisition, it was listening to the driver. Hey, boy, third gear, too short. Yeah, just you know, blow through that immediately. And then I'm into fourth, um, and fourth is great, and fifth is great, but because third is so short, I'm actually topping out i'm hitting my rev limiter in top gear way before i should and i'm actually losing time on the longer straights or vice versa boy this thing's just revving forever and by the time i get to the brake zone i'm still like not really even into the full rpm band we need to shorten up top gear again yada 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 indy same thing um you know you know, now granted today, yeah, it's it's way more sharp. Simulation is going to do a lot of things to help you understand based on power, based on yeah, just all kinds of things. So you can predict a lot of these things, uh, if not all of these things, pretty darn accurately. So when we are going to uh, Indy, you will see teams roll out with what has been predicted as the optimal gear setup. And as for first, second, and third, you know, those uh, are acceleration gears, not racing gears primarily. And yeah, so that's first, second, and third. As for max power engine maps in practice for the 500, uh, you will have folks. Uh, doing all they can to try and maximize their race day, uh, lapping and power levels and predictive stuff there. Obviously, with uh, race, I'm sorry, qualifying, knowing that we're on higher boost, there is some predictive work going in to put a starting gear stack in the car on Fast Friday with something that's believed to be 
uh, what is needed for the fastest possible solo running uh, really would not be something that accounts for running in the draft that could provide some pretty significant top speed bumps and then again for the race stack that is something that will indeed have those top gears fourth fifth sixth uh, with some options as needed whether it is running in traffic and getting the big toe numbers or running alone and still hitting optimal uh, mile per hour in acceleration on the straights. So, yeah, really, honestly, back in the day, listen to the driver, don't really have data to help you refine things they tell you and you adjust ratios up or down. That was the norm. Today, it's comic, almost comically easy. Uh, through the use of good old computers and software. Uh, Jameen Tuttle Marshall, we will be at the GMR Grand Prix Xfinity event July 4th. Do you see any real logistical headaches since the road to Indy is also there Thursday and Friday? Plus, cup cars. Seems like a lot of cars in and around Gasoline Alley. Huh. Yeah, so had that thought too. Curious, will be very curious to see how this is done from a planning standpoint um jameen so i guess it is a guess that we're going to be talking about those who load in to do their thing are then asked to go home when they're done and so although the road to indy tends to get parked kind of out of the way uh towards you know behind the grandstands uh towards infield to turn four um, I don't know if they're going to take up a lot of real estate that NASCAR would normally use. I say that because I've never been there for the Brickyard 400, so who knows? But I would tell you that, yeah, I can guarantee you they're going to be asked to pack up and boogie our beautiful Cooper Tires shod road to Indy entries. I'll be more curious to see how the footprint for IndyCar, NASCAR, and Xfinity goes. So, Gasoline Alley, know that. Lots of places to put cars. I would think that since it is the Brickyard 400 weekend, it is NASCAR's major event there, that they'd get preference and get Gasoline Alley. We have the Formula One garages that were put in place beneath the infield stands on just right behind pit lane. Would that be where Indy cars go? Guessing that would be the case knowing that we're not talking about a field of 33 plus 3 to 4 extra trying to make the show, but whatever the number is, you know, 24-ish, 25 cars, who knows, maybe even 26. I'm guessing they'll be asked to double up. I know when I was there in 2005 running a Indy Lights, running an engineering and Indy Lights team, we were placed there, and I think it was two to a garage so yeah there was not a whole lot of let's be precious and everyone gets their own thing it was no you're going to be on top of one another and so just deal with it i wonder if that's what indycar (laughs) would be subjected to knowing that i don't know indycar kind of sort of owns the joint and it's theirs and yeah they're now inserting themselves into the event that'll be interesting of all the things i'm curious about mr tuttle this is the one. 
how does IndyCar slash IMS, owned by Roger Penske, who has entries in NASCAR and IndyCar, but, you know, uh, we kind of, th- I think of him as an IndyCar guy. What kind of insertion <laughs> will NASCAR have to grit its teeth and deal with? Will it be, okay, this is your show and we're just going to minimize our presence and be out of the way and tell everyone we're going to quadruple stack you to a garage and no privacy and whatever? Or is IndyCar going to say, hey, yeah, love you, NASCAR, but guess what? We're not going to downplay us and our people at our, what's our track. And uh, you're going to have to give up some stuff that you've normally had all to yourself. So don't have all the answers. I do have the curiosity, though. So um, if I was smart, I would have thought of this and asked Doug Bowles last week when he was on the show. Uh, Mike Jablo, MP, do you know if there will be a test day or rookie orientation at the Speedway prior to August to replace April 30 date that was canceled? There will not, Mike. There will be no testing for the rest of the racing season. There could very well be these added short practice sessions tacked on at some ovals, some events for rookies, uh, like we have at Texas, the 30-minute one there. I think that could be something we see more of, but there are no open tests. Rookie, there's no ROP that I know of on a special day. So what I would look forward to is the first day of on-track activity at IMS in August. We'll have however many hours set aside for straight-up ROP. Feels like that's what happened last year as my brain starts to fart a little bit. Was it weather that knocked it out or something like that? Whatever it was, I think we had to do this last year. So I don't think it's going to be too much of a worry. Also knowing that, again, caveat, nothing gets knocked off the schedule. Uh, We're going to have rookies who have started off at Texas, for God's sake, then do two races at Iowa uh, before they get to Indianapolis. So the full, well, I guess Alex Palou is really, Palou is the only one, and yeah, who knows about Scotty McLaughlin, but there won't be many who are coming into the season who've never raced and competed on an oval before, but I think we're going to be okay in that regard. Uh, Somewhat okay. Uh, where else are we going to go? Jim Johnstone. Hey, Jim. With all the talk of drivers trying other series via esports from a purely fantasy standpoint, who would you like to see from F1 have a go in competitive IndyCar? And who from IndyCar would you like to see in a competitive competitive F1 seat? Uh, says, on a side note, I've always been a huge fan of Adrian Renard's work and was wondering if you ever considered doing a My Racing Life, my, my Racing Life and Career podcast with him. We share an affinity for Adrian Renard. I had not considered that. I've only interviewed him a, just, I don't know, twice, maybe three times. So I, we don't really have a relationship. Might be interesting, though. Uh, might definitely be interesting. So I'm going to add that to my list, Jim, which I truly have next to me. You might hear the paper rattling, crinkling a little bit. I am doing it now. I am adding... Uh, I'm having to look up to remember what is wrong with me, Adrian Renard. And I'm misspelling his name because I am really sucking here. And his name is now below. His is the last name on the sheet of paper that fits. 
and his has gone below the amazing D.D. Rogers, who some of you may have heard of. And if not, I really do want to capture that with her because she is just a giant, giant sphere of amazing. Okay. Uh, as for the, I don't want to do the esports stuff. Yeah. So I don't, that doesn't interest me. So who would I like to see an IndyCar have a competitive go in F1? That'd be Scott Dixon. Of course, someone who I think could have been uh, among the best, among the greats of this generation there as well. If he had had a chance in a competitive car. So I'd love to see Dixie get to do that. Cause that'd be amazing. Who would I like to see come over here? From a talent standpoint, obviously Lewis Hamilton. From a guy that intrigues me, it'd be Charles Leclerc. Because, yeah, I think that guy's a little bit magic. So, yeah, there you go. All right. Um, Kevin Kerner, you sent a really thoughtful and detailed and long submission here. I'm not going to get to it this week because, again, I don't want this show to be crazy, crazy long. So don't hesitate to send it back in, and I'll try and get to it next week. Um, All right. Going to just select a couple. Uh, (laughs) Derek Bartoshek, send back in your one about IndyCar drivers as Ninja Turtles, please. I love that one. Uh, But my brain wouldn't be able to do it now properly. See, JJ Gertler, you got a question here about Hinch and saying in the past that if he had a beef to take up with anyone, it probably wasn't with McLaren, but with Sam Schmidt. I feel like I've answered that one at least twice before, JJ. So it's not like I want to send you on a listen to all previous episodes to find your answer quest, but um, I try not to, to rehash the same question too many times in a row, and I think this would be about the third time. So I apologize for that. Uh, Darren Dubois, Marshall, do you have any stories or memories of Scott Remke you would like to share? There's a longtime Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan crew member. Yeah, dearly departed Scott Remke. I didn't know him well, but I had a deep affinity for him, and it happened swiftly. So I wish something great was coming to mind immediately. Just share that. Scott was someone who I got to know earlyish in my reporting career. And I just, for whatever reason, we hit it off. Bad judgment probably on his part, but just a joy to speak with him and to interview him about whatever, to have a private conversation about a driver or this or a situation or whatever. Big, big heart within the RLL organization not as if they don't have a number of folks with big hearts. Bobby, certainly. Uh, Graham, right? Guy's got a huge heart. Congratulations, by the way, to he and his wife, Courtney, uh, and the announcement that they are going to be parents here. Uh, that's a big deal, by the way. Um, hopefully, uh, we'll do a little story with Graham about that. But Scott was really, Scott was really the, the biggest heart of that operation, all the time he was there. And so I can attest to that in the interviews, conversations, and whatever that we had. Just say that that was something where, as I took the temperature of his loss, of his death, 
obvious sadness at losing a brother, someone who was so beloved. That's the natural part. The main part, though, Darren, that I received from drivers and managers and you name it, crew as well, was how much they were going to miss his daily influence and energy and love and passion for the sport and them and competing and doing cool-ass things. Right. When you talk about the heart of the organization types, it's it's an expression. It's it's something that really does speak a bit of truth, right? They are pumping that life-giving blood throughout the organization in a big way or possibly the biggest way of anyone within that group. And so in losing Scott, there was huge sorrow at the loss of the man. But I would say, Darren, again, just it's maybe not a story, but just maybe maybe a, a wider reflection. The greatest sense of loss that I perceived was, oh, man, our, our, our nourishment, this, this beautiful thing that has been feeding us for a good long while is no longer going to be there. And there are some good folks who've tried to step up and be that person or bring similar things. I don't think I'd be speaking out of turn by saying, I don't know if they've, they've fully replicated the level of nourishment that Scott brought. And maybe it's silly to think that, uh, that it could happen. Um, Reed Ruthenberg about changing any corner uh, or two at Mid Ohio and what would they be? <sighs> hmm. I got nothing for you. Uh, maybe, let's see. The only thing that comes to mind, because this would be insane, is coming down the. Oh man, I always get the numbers wrong. So coming out of the keyhole, going down the long straight, uh, coming to where the race starts with the flagger midway down that straight, um, forgetting the corner numbers, and I apologize, but fly down, break, hang the hard right. Go up the hill, hang a left, come back down, then hang a right again and head into Thunder Alley Valley, I should say. What if they added a connection so it wouldn't be changing it'd just be adding adding a connection where coming down that straight instead of making the right and going up the hill there was just an extension that kind of went around just kept going and connected into the start of thunder valley i mean what would they be doing like 200 miles an hour before they had before they got to that walkover bridge and had to make the hard left going over thunder valley um the the crest there uh, that seems like it'd be amazing to me why not add a hot wheel style loop de loop as well well i'm just making up nonsense um i think that'd be fun as for changing the rest the only corner i really truly hate on the track are the final two because it's go 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 speed 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 flow 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 and you peek out from thunder valley and you make the left it's a high speed left you come running down the hill and then it's that right where you're kind of teetering a little bit on the edge of adhesion and then you basically park the car and you fart 
to the right over the apex and then you go to the left and drivers trying to get by whomever the leader on the final lap or two they're always trying to find a spot where they can go down the inside go around the outside and it never happens because it's too tight and too slow it just chokes off the flow of everything i hate those corners hate them with a passion so is there something we could do there where you don't just choke off because basically what it means is if you haven't gotten by the leader before the final two corners, you're not going to win. Um, I don't know what the change would be, but opening that up so it isn't such a dead stop that kills any chance of passing, that'd be awesome. There could be some really cool sprints to the finish line if it wasn't that way. So I know I said I had nothing, but lo and behold, my brain fired back up. Uh, Matt Philpot, how you doing, Matt? This is Marshall. Random question popped into my mind the other day. Welcome to my life. That is my everyday. Has any car ever considered going the route of F1 and eliminating refueling from pit stops? Well, ever? I don't know. Series has been around for like a hundred and something years. So, um... I don't know if they've ever considered it uh, in the modern era. I oddly did think about this on my own, not so much the going, the intentionally like going the F1 route, but just like, hey, if IndyCar wanted to avoid refueling, what would it require? And so they have, what, 18-gallon fuel cells? I mean, ooh. The amount of space required to carry all the fuel, say for the Indy 500, where you're going to do what? Nine stops, 10 stops. Again, I, I can't even remember how many stops. Um, they'd almost need like miniature fuel trailers uh, going behind them uh, to carry all of it and feed the engine because with the speed that they go the power that they make and the fuel burn rate getting two miles per gallon or whatever the number is uh yeah (laughs) these an indy car would need a fuel tank about the size of an indy car to do this so I don't know if they would ever consider it, Matt, because we would get the world's biggest race cars. And I don't know, maybe that'd be amusing. Maybe it wouldn't, but I don't think that's going to end up happening any time soon. Okay, I'm going to grab, I'll say, just a couple more. I'm looking here, where are we at in the show? Yeah, all right, we're at what an hour 40 ish i think okay let me just grab a few more here that i think i can get through quickly and then again everyone else if you want them covered send it back in sometimes it takes more than once so uh okay gonna go to sad boys to men again bbd abc Uh, i'm relatively new to indycar as a result of your podcast hey that's awesome and therefore know nothing about the split. People love to talk about the huge negative impact of the split. What do you think of the positives that can be taken from the split and the subsequent merger? Oh, positives. 
None. I can't think of a single positive. The fact that things happened as they did, and we ended up in 2020 with the paperwork finally being done and Roger Penske owning IndyCar and IMS, that I would say is a huge positive. I know that there were efforts made in the past um, that went nowhere. Um, I can't really think of many, if any, probably towards any. And it's not because I'm pro or anti anything. I'm just really trying to think back. And yeah, there there's nothing I can think of that is positive about this. The formation of the Indie Racing League, the, the split itself that started in 1996 with non-cart IndyCar teams participating at the Indy 500. This is where everything started to break. So it's not a blame thing. Tony George had a belief. He had a vision. Lord, did he have a vision. He created a team named Vision Racing off of so many people saying he had a vision. Um, This is what he felt was best. Ended up, I think, being wrong, but this is what the man believed, and so he acted upon it. Uh, A dearly beloved and late friend, Dan Gurney, had the same exact feeling and belief and acted upon it. Hey, we're going the wrong way under USAC stewardage. Uh, I have a vision for something better and different where they aren't the ones in charge. We are championship auto racing teams. Let's do our own thing. And they did it. I'm not comparing Dan Gurney to (laughs) Tony George uh, in terms of quality of human or contributions to the sport or anything else. But I am saying they did the same thing. Felt direction was bad had an idea for something different and set things in motion to make it happen. What happened though, unfortunately was not the IRL becoming the winning thing, the beloved thing. What it meant was where cart had a lot of big, heavy hitting sponsors across those teams, primarily tobacco and spirits and also some big box store stuff as well and telecommunications it was the fortune 500 racing series fortune 100 huge support Uh, again this isn't an effort to be negative i'm just trying to share reality here i'd tell you if there were big positives that came to mind i'd absolutely say them i just can't think of them because when we did start going down this these separate paths Cart became destabilized. Uh, big sponsors never migrated to the IRL. I know that there were, you know, some big-ish names, a couple of big-ish names um, that jumped in with Sprint and a few others and Pennzoil and whatnot. Um, but again, there wasn't a lot of money there. There weren't many big brands coming in, or nor were they doing anything to help promote the series and get it out to the masses. The masses really didn't care they thought it was just a a garbage version of of cart i worked in the irl from 97 through 2001 i was also worked in cart there for a year too 
So I'm not saying this like I was on the cart side and working there and looking over and pooping on that. I'm saying this from a guy who was there <laughs> and saw it and knew it and felt it and experienced it. There weren't crowds. There weren't. There wasn't money. The average quality of the teams and drivers were subpar. Again, there were some really good ones, but there were too many mediocre to bad ones to bring the curve down. Cart, on the other hand, all the speed, all the quality, all the money, all the everything. As the split went on, those sponsors saw that not having Indy 500 was too much of a drain and either left or said, hey, team that we've been with in cart for a long time, if you still want us to be with you, you better get your ass over, not so much to the IRL, but to the series that has the Indy 500, and they did. And Champ Car stumbled along for a little while, rebranded cart, uh, named his Champ Car, fumbled along for a little while, and it started to get a little bit secondhand towards uh, mid-2000s latter stages of its lifespan and by 2008 we had collapse of champ car we had the indycar series as the one and only survivor and not a lot of money going around and so we're fortunate to have some more interest going on and tv ratings are coming back up on all kinds of things but yeah this this was this was doing self-harm if you just think of us collectively as open wheel racing forget who did what and who owned what and started what and how it played forget all just think of us collectively as one big group no matter who started it we did big harm to ourselves with the split we can look back and see that clearly it's a idea tony george had acted on it man it they never won the war again i realize you can say well didn't cart slash champ car fold and yeah winning the war means you have taken ground you have gained property you have gained real estate you have gained people you have risen up at least my definition of winning a war you have done something to capture, grow, and improve, and expand. None of those things happened. Uh, we did a lot of damage to ourselves with what ended up happening with the split. Cart also made a lot of mistakes, too. A lot. Just not as either well-publicized or rem- remembered as good. Them going public. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah, that wasn't so good, but... Wish I could tell you, sad boys to men, that there was this really silver, silver, silver lining in the split. There wasn't. I would be confident in saying if you asked almost anyone, I bet even Tony George would admit this, not publicly, but if you polled basically everybody, if you could go back in time and prevent the split and appease tony george in some way shape or form to keep him happy and on the cart board and keep the indy 500 as the crown jewel of cart if you could hit that time machine button and go back and prevent the split would you i think you would get damn near a hundred percent agreement 
Uh, and those who wouldn't agree, I'd really love to hear their explanation as, explanation is as to why. Um, Craig Johnson, great question here. Please send it in again. All right. You know, I'm going to... I'm also going to say thanks to John uh, Ranja, whoever he named, whose last name Wonar, who I think uh, I keep getting completely wrong. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with two, uh, two, two questions here. And again, hit me with the rest if I didn't get to them. Um, let's go with... I'm going to save your, yours, John, for last. Uh, Robbie Bergeron. Hey, Marshall, happy to hear your wife is doing better and continued prayers for you and her. Do you think Alex Tagliani would have had a much different career if he had converted one of the races he was leading in his rookie season into a win? There's something there that didn't appear um, in later years. Hmm... Eh, no, I don't, Robbie. I think it might have bought him a little bit more time. But I don't... Here's the thing about Alex. He is just a lover of a human being. He's got a heart that is massive. Uh, no, we're talking a lot about hearts here. He is just, again, he is racked with emotion etc etc i think alex personality wise we're talking the players indycar organization being a french canadian very important for them to connect with what i loving refer to as practice france french speaking canadians his fellow quebecois his personality is enough big enough always on always always needing something, always demanding, always, always. Like, think of a Jack Russell Terrier just pounding Red Bulls and espresso, and that's Alex. He would have needed to have won, I think, a bunch of races and just been so much of a race-winning badass that there was no possible reason to consider looking elsewhere. I'm not saying his personality ran him out of that opportunity, but I do know that he can be a bit much in knowing the player's team and some of its senior leadership and how they were pretty black and white, no-nonsense guys, not big talkers, not big showy personalities. I can see how Alex while not being the guy who is out there kicking ass and winning races and just being, you know, a dominant guy in their multiple shades of blue, I can see where it would have been easier uh, to say, yeah, maybe this experiment doesn't need to go on forever. You hear about that in other sports too, right? Where you go, man, that guy in the locker room is just a freaking SOB, but... You know, he has so many catches or tackles or has hit so many home runs, blah, blah. You know, you look at their work output and it is so incredible. You couldn't possibly consider getting rid of them. 
And then there are the other ones where you go, okay, so that really big, over-the-top, always-on, always-going-personality and you're scoring five points a game as a backup or whatever, eh, maybe we're going to move on and find someone else to uh, hit the court on our behalf. I think Alex might fall into that category a bit. Um, there's no doubt about the talent. I mean, watching him in Atlantic, boy, that guy was pretty darn special. And and he could be, in the right conditions, crazy effective in terms of speed in an IndyCar. But... I don't know if they had mental coaches and those kinds of things, but he's so big with the personality and so overactive with his mind that we know in recent years there are some drivers who, if they weren't both, if they weren't ident- nearly identical in that regard, they had at least one. You know, my mind, Jesus, I've, I have genuine attention deficit disorder and it's always going and it boy it's holding me back and i could use some help not you know just medicating myself but are there things that a performance coach mental coach you name it might help me to quiet some things or compartmentalize so i can focus a little bit more i don't know if those things happened i don't know if those services were available if they were then there's the answer but if they weren't alex just always struck me as someone who would really benefit from someone on that side not the how to drive and the x's and o's of being a great race car driver but the what do you do with the soft matter between your ears Uh, that's a place we're just seeing more and more drivers utilizing those kinds of services to make them more effective at their jobs Last question here, John Ranjo says, showed my dad the segment of you trying to pronounce my last name from a few weeks back. Having the same very Polish last name as me, he found it very funny as it's something we've gone through all our lives. It got me to thinking, being our series is a very diverse series that brings cultures from all over the world together, I have to ask. What's the worst mispronunciation of a driver's name you've ever heard at a track by an announcer or a journalist? Was there ever a... Gil DeFerrin or Jacques Villanova. Uh, as always, your buddy, John Ranjau, whose last name is really W-O-J-N-A-R, but thanks for uh, granting me the pass here, Mr. Ranjau. Well, the Jacques one is great. I do recall watching Center on the ES to the PN in 95 when good old Jockus won. And the host, whomever it was, I don't know why Carl Ravitch is coming to mind. I don't know if Carl was the uh, the anchor there in Sports Center, but uh, the person announced that Jacques, and there was a pause because trying to figure out Villeneuve, Jacques Villanueva, Juan, the Indy 500. I'm like, how? You've genuinely made up letters that aren't in his name. But Jacques Villanueva, yes, uh, he done won himself the Indy 500. What other, boy, what names come to mind? So I'll just mention this because half the time my wife refers to me 
as Mr. Purette, or I refer to her as Mrs. Purette because of the common mispronunciations we get with my last name, her married last name. That is what we get. Somehow the R and the U get transposed. Uh, so it's Purette. We go, how do you spell that again? And they'll look at the name and go, the R is in front of the U, and but still say Purette again. Anyways, that's a good one. Uh, every year at the Indy 500, I mentioned that my favorite mispronunciation was, I don't know, who was it? Dave Calabro, maybe? Um, who called out driver entering the track, Cage Serum. That's a good one. Not Sage Karam, but Cage Serum. Um, what's the... Oh, so my, my pal, <laughs> David Malsher, <laughs> his favorite, which he caught, uh, was someone, I don't know who, again, but it, it, look, you listen to my podcast. You know how many names and things I mispronounce. So shots are not being fired here at Calabro or anyone else because, you know... Ha- it would you all would be like crying laughing from the mistakes that i would be making here hopefully be amusing though that's the whole thing uh his favorite davy's favorite was calling out the iron maiden herself simona de saavedra (laughs) so yeah uh those are some good ones um and then it's not indie car but what you get when you get these things john they usually come from the announcer who's doing it for the first time coming in either they're just you know the local guy from the sports sports radio ten thirty in des moines or whatever at uh, imsa race or a here or there it's these absolutely poor bastards who are getting brought in to do the track pa and are you just you feel for them because they're you know i've been pronouncing alex palu's last name as palu because that's those are the letters and that's how it happens no it's palo it's gonna take me a while to pronounce that correctly but it's alex palo felix rosen quist uh, it's actually not quist there's a v in there Rosenquist, but even at, he says, eh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not going to mind too much. Uh, I, you know, uh, it's going to become Americanized. And uh, yeah, Quist instead of Quist, yeah, it's all good. Um, these are just kind of the things that we deal with. Where things get really funny, and it's not, it's probably not funny. It's Maybe it's sad. I'd get, I don't know, I'd probably get pissed. Maybe I wouldn't. It's sports car races, man. So IndyCar, John, that, that's just, it's a absolute cake. It's the sporty car stuff where you roll down, and I'm just thinking in terms of Americans, speaking American, having to deal with, let's see, last year, 
and I think this kid won the LMP2 class at Le Mans as well. But last year at the Rolex 24 Daytona, Wayne Taylor Racing had a young French kid, Mathieu, M-A-T-T-H-I-E-U. And his last name is spelled V as in Victor, A-X, I-V as in Victor, I-E-R-E, V-A-X-I-V-I-E-R-E. Huh? Vasavier, Vaxavier, Vaxaviery, Vaxaviery, vaccination, Vaxes, I cover sports car racing. I've actually interviewed the kid before. If he had a thousand dollar bill, held it in front of me and said, if you can accurately pronounce my name, last name, in front of me right now, I'll give you this $1,000 bill. I would not have a $1,000 bill after I said it because Vaxavier is what I've kind of heard it pronounced as, but I'm sure I've gotten it wrong. Um, and it's a lot of that stuff. It's when you get to... The 24 Hours of Le Mans in particular, where it's just a lot of names since it's a big international event. And you go, uh, how did you do that with all vowels? I, yeah, no, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm going to fail. Um, what do you do when you've got someone with a last name that has some letters that should be silent, maybe? Uh, underpronounced, overpronounced. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a Porsche factory driver, French guy as well. French ones are giving us problems here. Frederick. Okay, we can get that. Last name is pr- is spelled M A K O W I E C K I. Makowiecki, make makowiecki. Moo, he just tends to go by Fred Mako. Makowicki is what I've heard. Just kind of say it fast. Don't overpronounce any of the individual letters. But again, I'm sure that's dead wrong. I, you know, that I have a great relationship with Sebastian Bourdais. He's from France. Well, yes, that's true. If you say it in American, he he, you'll notice he never says. Ants. There's no eh. It's ants. France. Right? It's down. It's not up. It's not France. France. It's France. All right. Well, again, if I'm trying to pronunciate accurately, uh, yeah. So we're fortunate, John, in that regard in IndyCar that, you know, for the most part, a lot of the names don't really confuse us. Uh, Jaron Bleekamolin, right? Love Jaron. He's the man. Is the J, is it a strong J? Is it a silent? Is it a Y? Yaron? You're who? Uh, Neil Johnny, former champ car driver. I'd heard it pronounced Yanni, like the bad singer with the letter, his last name J-A-N-I, with the J turned into a Y, and was so convinced that was accurate, even though when I see him and know him and we're, you know, know each other decently and when i see him i don't say hey neil yanni i say hey neil 
but you know and he doesn't have many reasons to pronounce his last name while we're talking so anyways i just assumed what i'd heard neil yanni no and i told a friend of mine too like no you're mispronouncing it's not johnny it's yanni and then found out like the next day he said my friend said you know i asked him and he's like no it's, it's not a y it's a j johnny i'm like well here we go again i don't know man we don't get a lot of this in indycar and for that i am thankful it's more on the sporty car side where oh yeah you can just get a lot of this stuff wrong um and i know that i do because at least the nickname that i kind of gave to myself because it was deserved for my weekend sports car show it's the last name assassin because i just get them wrong all the time and i've stopped trying so i'm mentioning all this to a man who listens to my indycar show and whose last name i know that i get wrong so i've just changed it to john ranjow and love the fact that john mercifully you've just gone with it so please apologize to your father uh congratulations on the awesome polish lineage no disrespect to you or your ancestors i believe your ancestors know you're dealing with somebody here in the other end of the microphone who's just kind of crap so um we're gonna say our prayers tonight to good old uh, jacques villanueva i am marshall pruitt this is the podcast i named after myself huge thank you to you all for sending in some really fun stuff this week can't wait for next week's and some of the uh the return items that i didn't get to this week and then of course we're going to say thank you in reverse order because we'll just change it up bell racing helmets thank you torontomotorsports.com thank you cooper tires i'm going to get to you last but we're going to say justice brothers thank you and then our pals our very first main big i'd say awesome sponsor that is cooper tires and then we've had all the other companies i've mentioned join in the awesomeness and we have a little show that's at almost five million downloads and i'll tell you if you were to listen to this unpolished turd of an episode you might wonder how in the heck i got to five downloads i'll speak to you next week